Well, we heard a lot of passion, a lot of frustration, and I want to begin with two numbers that to me are shocking. 50% of Trump voters want him to pursue the 2020 election. They don't want him to give up. They don't want him to give in. They want to push this to the very last day. And 51% believe that Donald Trump should be a presidential candidate in 2024. Brett, this is not over for an awful lot of Trump people. It may be over for the president. It may be over for Congress. But for those people who voted for him, they want him to, to, to push on and they're going to stand behind him. 80% as of yesterday, 80% of Democrats want him uh, removed. Uh, 70% of Republicans do not. You just heard those numbers there from Frank Luntz. Huh, I found that uh, 51% of Trump voters want him to run again number pretty interesting because if, if it's barely half now, when he's still on the scene, everybody's still feeling impassioned, suspicions about the election, uh, the constant attacks, people are still defying the media and Hollywood and and everybody else who's been uh, at Trump's throat the whole time, if that remaining enthusiasm is only 51% right now, well, check back in a couple of years. Do do they use Trump vo- voters as shorthand for GOP, or is that a, a, a distinct Speci- thing? Specifically people who voted okay. for Trump. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who is the leader in the House for the Republicans, he uh, he was a no vote. Um, to almost 200 Republicans voted no yesterday. Uh, which is a lot, and I don't know if that is a, um, uh, a a reasoned, careful, we're about to get into Reason Magazine's argument on why Trump shouldn't be impeached. I don't know if it's a careful reading of the Constitution and they don't believe it, or if it's just Trump's continued hold on the Republican Party. Um, man, books will be written about this for years, uh, about the the power Trump has had over you know, the party. Right. That was a factor. But I heard, you know, I listened to quite a few of the speeches yesterday. I just I, I just found it compelling and not in like that historic. This is amazing. This is wonderful. Or this is horrible. Just the different ways people came at it. And I'd say there were probably like three distinct uh, rationales for voting. No, it doesn't. This is not impeachable. It's not that bad was one. Obviously, the second one was. Uh, there's no point. This is ridiculous. It's a waste of time and energy. He's gone in a week. And, uh, the, and you know, there were variations of those themes. Or you had Kevin McCarthy doing what he did, which was some good triangulating. Yeah, uh, among other things. Yeah, he did the, um, look, this is terrible. Terrible what he did. Terrible what he said. This shouldn't have happened. Blah, blah, blah. And we should censure him. But impeachment doesn't work for these reasons. He also went to great pains to say, Look, there have been a lot of reports and a lot of people are saying on our side that Antifa was involved in this. There's zero evidence that Antifa was involved in this. And a lot of people have looked into it. So far, nobody's come up with an Antifa Antifa person. May I jump in? Sure. The poster you saw online, the tattoo analysis, the facial recognition stuff you saw, none of that is true. But I thought it was interesting. And I fell for some of it, okay? I thought it was interesting that Kevin McCarthy decided to take some of his time there on the floor knowing that he would get more attention than anybody else who voted to say, look, there's zero evidence that Antifa was involved. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what he was hoping, you know, why he decided to point that out, but I thought that was interesting. I think it may have been one of those rare moments when he really thought he had a problem in his own tent and he really wanted to make clear Republicans, conservatives, this, we have an issue. This was us. Right. Yeah, this was our family. Let's not blame the neighbors. We need to reckon with this. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, so how would you describe Reason Magazine? 
Well, first I'd describe it as Reason.com, Boomer. I mean, they happen to put out a print edition, but it's <laughs> it's a website. Uh, anyway, um, it, uh, they are libertarian, very independent thinking, uh, kind of hip, young. There you go. Headline, uh, can President Trump be impeached and removed on the grounds of incitement? If Trump's speech is protected by the First Amendment, then incitement cannot be grounds for impeachment, written by Josh Blackman, who I believe we've had on before. Um, and he talks about how he and the co-author of this article were both shaken by the events of January, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You have to throw that in there, obviously, because if you weren't shaken, man, you were a certain sort of person. But they go on to write, Before the sun had set on the nation's capital, there were immediate calls for President Trump's impeachment, removal, and future disqualification. The timing of the process was not particularly important. With about two weeks until President-elect Biden's inauguration, it's not likely that a fair investigation and trial can be held with an eye on removal from office. thought that was an interesting thing that they they just stated as fact in their eyes, because a lot of people are arguing about that. I would agree with them. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'll go on. Even the radical Republicans gave Andrew Johnson time to put on a defense. The trial began on March 4th and concluded on May 16th, 1868. Uh, additionally, in the current rush to impeach Trump, the specifics of the articles of impeachment do not appear to be very important to some supporters of a renewed impeachment effort. Incitement, sedition, treason, when all else fails, nebulous allegations relating to corruption and abuse of office will suffice for some would-be impeachers. The details can be ironed out later. In this article, we consider only two factual allegations with respect to incitement. First, on December 19th, President Trump tweeted, Be there, be wild. That came up a lot in the conversation yesterday. Second, on the morning... That of sounds Jan- like it might have been the, uh, you know, like an advertisement for that swingers party in L.A. that, that got busted the other day. Or every bar I've ever gone to. Yeah. Thursday, be there, be wild. Thursday night trivia and half-price rum shots. Neither nonsense jungle punch. <laughs> Uh, second, on the morning of January 6th, Trump gave a speech on the White House uh, ellipse that stretched on for more than an hour. Given the requirements of imminence, our view is that Trump's December 19th tweet about an event more than two weeks away where he said, be there, be wild, would not be sufficient under the incitement standard defined by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. The speech he gave the morning of January 6th on the White House ellipse, however, presents a closer call. Um, and they have the full transcript. We think the final two minutes of the speech are the most salient portions for the incitement analysis. Um, and they go through some of them. I won't go through all this because it's very long, but just to give you for an, an instance, because a lot of these were mentioned yesterday. Here's a quote from Trump. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Reason says, our exciting adventures and boldest endeavors have not yet begun. Oh, no, that's the rest of Trump's speech. I'm sorry. Going back into his speech. Um Trump makes two relevant points. First, he said, and we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. The better view, all things considered, is that Trump was doing no more than telling his supporters to engage in constitutionally protected speech and not telling his supporters to physically fight. Here, the fight referred to a goal or political process to obtain election security. His earlier reference to cheering on the brave senators reinforces this reading of it as being cheerleading the political process we don't think any court or other neutral uh educator adjudicator adjudicator could fairly construe fight to mean a physical brawl many press accounts have taken the fight like hell comment out of context for example a reporter 
said the acting U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. Columbia said um, whether President Trump, who had urged the crowd to fight like hell before the rioting began, could be criminally charged. Absolutely not. We're looking Sorry. to all actors here, and anyone that had a role, if the evidence fits the elements of a crime, they're going to be charged. The fight like hell comment cannot come from the basis of an incitement charge. The more difficult comment is Trump's urging people to walk to the Capitol. But then they get into that and put it in the context. So if you're of the crowd that says this doesn't uh, constitute you know, a high crime and dis- misdemeanor, you think it's a no vote, um, go to this reason article. I, I tweeted it out, and this is your intellectual backing that's not just, you know... Uh, I'm characterize this. I don't believe this characterization, but you won't be the characterization of you know a racist knuckle dragon maga hat. Follow him no matter what he does, idiot. Right, right. Which I and, don't believe any of those things, but it's a, a carefully argued by people who understand the law uh, why that speech is not what they say it was in the impeachment articles that passed yesterday. And we'll post it at armstrongandgetty.com so you can find it there quite easily. Uh, so a couple of uh, additions to that. Number one, the fact that a lot of the people who perpetrated the most serious mayhem had come to the rally armed uh, with shields, with weapons, that sort of thing, uh, proves that they didn't need the president to incite them. They had planned on mayhem. And this is, you know, this is getting a little lawyerly. Um uh, and so you have to keep that in mind. On the other hand, the blessing and the curse of the Constitution is that in a lot of things, uh, there is flexibility on how you do something, when you do something, why you do something, like impeachment. And a person could, in good conscience, make the argument, I'm not talking about incitement based on the criminal code. I'm talking about the totality of saying the election was stolen, it was a landslide, combined with the fight stuff, combined with the go-to-Congress stuff. Anybody with any sense would have looked out there and, and seen that it was an angry mob and tried to cool it off. And anybody who wouldn't do that shouldn't be president. You know, that's, that's a good response, because the Constitution doesn't say you must be convicted in a crime in the Circuit Court of District, the District of Columbia. Right. For some reason, they go with very narrow, like it's a criminal court sort of charges, or at least we, we haven't had very many impeachments. Impeachments. Nancy Pelosi has... Well, we've had half of them in the last year and a month, right? Nancy Pelosi has provided presided over half of the impeachments in U.S. history. <laughs> right. Which is amazing. Right. Um, Which, you know, could be possible since she's like 140, but yeah. it happens to have been very recent. But when Trump got impeached a year ago, I read some of the Andrew Johnson book about his impeachment. And the thing at the time was... The other party just didn't like him. They, 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 for all kinds of reasons. They thought he was a jerk. They thought he was a racist. But they wrote very specific, uh, articles of impeachment about specific things that didn't hold up. And so he stayed in office rather than pass some sort of, look, the country would be better off without him. So can you not have an article of impeachment? The other party, if you believe this, just saying, I think we'd be better off without him. Yes or no? You absolutely can have an article that says that, and then you have to, you know, fight to convince another enough people that that's reason enough and he ought to go. But then, and this was going to be my ultimate point, this exercise in futility, to my mind, impeaching Trump again, will have repercussions. 
the the idea the next time people bring up impeachment most of america will roll its eyes I'm, particularly yeah. if it comes from the democrats i'm looking at two newspapers i've got here the usa today and the san francisco chronicle with the giant like most liberal newspapers but the giant 2 inch letters impeached you know last year when you had that headline that was a big deal cuz i mean it's just so 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 uncommon and our nation the fact that I've seen this twice in the inside a calendar year, it just doesn't grab me the same way. That's the damage that is done by, you know, over impeaching. It just doesn't have the same oomph. Right. So, again, to your question, if you just throw impeachment around because you don't like a person or, or, you know, and I'm not talking about this one specifically, but just, yeah, you do it too often. You do it too casually. You do it to appease your base. Uh, it will be a self-correcting mechanism. You will find that you cannot use that tool anymore. But, of course, American politicians don't give a damn about the future or the good of the country. They just care about this election cycle and raising money. So, you know, I'm not sure they have a conscience to be moved by the foolishness of their maneuvers. But, it, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. Uh, text line 415-295-KFTC. There is hopefully good news mostly about the dang vaccine going out. I want to get the shot. I want to get the shot so I don't have to think about it anymore ever again. Yeah, here, here. Uh, I should have hit my dentist up while I was there. You guys got any of that uh, laying around? They probably don't. The dentist? Yeah, I, I think dental workers are like 1A. They're among the first people to get it. But they don't give you an extra shot to carry around. Maybe they, they did. I don't know. <laughs> they have the extra bit in each of those vials, right? Well, let's, uh, let's turn those things upside down. I've done that with spaghetti sauce before. Exactly. You, and uh, add water to it. You shake it, it up. it out a little, but uh, whatever you got to do. So good news for Californians. Illinois has slowed its charge toward the bankruptcy finish line slightly. Because, as we've said before, one state's going to get bailed out by the federal government. Then when that second state goes bankrupt, the American people are going to say, whoa, 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 why are we doing this? So it's important you're the first bankrupt state, and Illinois may have reformed itself a little in recent days. So we'll have that and all sorts of good stuff. Oh, nobody trusts anything anymore in America. Oof, we have the stats. Yeah, yeah. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. J-Lo says Alex Rodriguez uses her beauty products. That sounds about right. (laughs) And giant trade in the NBA. Oh, yeah? The Beard has gone to the Nets to join Durant and Kyrie Irving, and they could be, well, like the Warriors were for five years. Let's, uh, Let's have a moment of silence. For the strippers in Houston, as as a giant portion of their revenue just just left town, not a joke. His jersey is retired in the strip clubs of Houston. <laughs> Can somebody give a name, please, for the beard? Uh, James Harden. Thank you. Very nice. Um, enjoys uh, the exotic dancing, does he? A so, fan of the arts. Somebody did an article. I forget which website. To a statistically significant degree. James Harden played worse on the road based on how well your city's strip clubs were rated. Off of, like, Yelp reviews. I can't... So the better the strip club, the worse the play? Yes. I've never wow. understood uh, the appeal of strip clubs at all. I certainly can't understand, like, all the time, every city you go to. What? 
That's like watching TV. You sit there, the girls are jiggling. It's entertaining. You have a cup of juice because a lot of them can't get liquor licenses because oh, of the laws. Hey, uh, my gosh, we're running late. Uh, very quickly, a couple of examples, and we're only going to have time to flesh out one of them, but the way democracy shouldn't work. Diane Feinstein, who's filed to run again, she's going to be 91 when she runs for the Senate again. When she is, runs for a six-year term, she'll be 91. No! Yeah. <laughs> she has completely lost it, or at least at times she's lost it. She is barely functional as a senator because of her age, and we'll get to that in a minute. But 50 years After taking his first seat in the Illinois House of Representatives, the king of Illinois, Mike Madigan, has been booted out. Well, he's left. He is corrupt. He's the king of no-show jobs, patronage jobs. I had a a friend. Do you want to say allegedly corrupt, or is he convicted corrupt? In my opinion, he is corrupt. Mm. Uh, Virtually everybody around him is being investigated for corruption. But I knew a guy growing up. He's a nice guy, too. I liked him. But he he was a union guy. He looked and talked like a mobster, and he never seemed to have to work. That's handy. And and he made a lot of money. He had one of those patronage, no-show jobs. And Michael Madigan has led Illinois to near bankruptcy, uh, unfunded pension liabilities, and and uh, he had them ready to hit the finish line as the first bankrupt state, but he's been booted now. So mm. Illinois has a chance to reform itself. So it was like that Sopranos stuff that we saw, those kind of jobs. Are you talking 100%. 100%. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I can tell you everything you need to know about impeachment in 30 seconds, if you can stomach that. It passed yesterday. 200 Republicans voted against. Only 10 Republicans voted for impeachment. McConnell says the Senate can't start till the 19th. That's the day before Biden takes office. It's uh, yet to be seen. Then they're not gonna. They're just not gonna. It's yet to be seen whether that will actually occur. I think there's no chance they get the 17 Republican votes, but that's all you need to know for now. Well, I would point out zero Democrats said this is a waste of time. Every Democrat who showed up voted yes on impeachment. So anyway, a couple of uh, quick pieces of news just came across this. Johnson and Johnson has a one shot vaccine and they're within a couple of weeks of uh, announcing uh, their test results and the rest of it, and then really gearing up manufacture. You remember under Operation Warp Speed, the idea was um, go ahead and start manufacturing it. And I guess if it turns out it sucks, uh, you know, to use uh, the parlance of today's youth, um, <laughs> we'll just have to get rid of it, I guess. But, you know, the technology's pretty dialed in. They have a really good idea that it's going to be safe and effective. So they've got a one-shot vaccine. Problem is, they're way behind on manufacturing. They'd hope to have, uh, what was, uh, 12 million doses by the end of February. Now they're saying April. Uh, by then they were supposed to have had 60 million doses. But I tell you what, the way this thing is dragged on and on, and every time you think, all right, just about over, it's a, uh, there's a temptation to say to Johnson, Johnson, you're not going to have a meaningful number of doses until the end of June. Don't even bother. Uh, but no. No. Uh, time has taught us. Let's go ahead and throw everything we got at it. Hey, Johnson, come here. Not you, Johnson. You stay with the other one. Johnson, come here. Yeah. Make, make as much as you can as fast as you can, but don't tell Johnson. 
So that's pretty promising news. And again, this is a single shot vaccine, which is cool. Here's a question I don't know the answer to. Do you have any choice as to which one you get? No. Nope. If, if so if you if if they're if you're next in line and you hear the closest place where they're giving out the vaccine is here and you go stand in line, you just it's just kind of fate to which one you're taking. Yeah. Is there any seeking out one or the other? Because there are some reports that the one makes you a little sicker or hurts more than the other. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe if you lived in a state that's, a, well, all states are a combination of r- urban and rural, and if the one you really liked was in the one, you know, the the population density you're not in, I suppose you could travel afar, but I don't, I don't know how that Is it still true? That the, the government doesn't know how to give out the vaccine yet. <laughs> I sure don't. But is it still true that the one has a reputation of making you quite a bit sicker than the other? Uh, that's what I've heard, but it's, you know, well, anecdotal. Like, I don't know. It seems like if they're both roughly the same effectiveness, I'd want to seek out the other one. Well, you, you might want to, but my understanding is your county gets X number of doses, period, and I you go get it. I want to date Scarlett Johansson. Do I have to take it in the county I'm in? You might as well. I don't know. I don't know. What's the point of even talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> My charm and sense of humor? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, the freaking governors don't know how this is working. I don't. Well, I, from my understanding, it's very unlikely that the distribution is working out in a way that this zip code gets one vaccine and the next zip code gets the other vaccine. Right. It's more blanketed in it. So you would have to go pretty far out to mm-hmm. get the one that is not the one that your county is getting, from if, my understanding. I wonder if the rich and powerful get to choose the one that don't make you as sick. Yeah, I wonder. The so, uh, just got it. Did he get the one that makes you sick or not? I have no idea. What's the use of talking to me? I know. Stop <laughs> asking me things I can't possibly know. <laughs> what is the moon way? I don't know. So we were talking about Mike Madigan, the king of Illinois, who's left the speakership, left the uh, legislature after 50 years. He's, he controlled government. And, and the way politics works in Illinois is uh, Chicago has enough population that uh, the crooks in the Capitol just route all the money to the activist groups and the unions and the rest of it, and they show up and vote Democrat every single time, and the state spends itself into bankruptcy. But because those groups control Chicago, nobody cares, and they're all getting rich. So Madigan's finally gone after 50 years. Meanwhile, you got Diane Feinstein, who... You know, in her prime, smart, tough, moderate. Fantastic flapper. Popular on both sides of the aisle. Could really um, dance the Charleston. Yeah she, yeah, she slapped Herbert Hoover in the face once when he pinched her. Anyway, uh, but yeah, she's old as heck. She's 88 now, I believe. Just filed paperwork to run again, please. And uh, the New Yorker, interestingly enough, uh, has a, a big article out recently. They start with the infamous moment uh, back in November during that tech hearing when she asked Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, whether his company was doing enough to stem the spread of disinformation. Then she read in uh, in full a tweet the president had disseminated, uh, claiming to have won the election. She then asked Dorsey if Twitter's labeling the tweet as disputed had adequately alerted readers that it was a bald lie. It was a good question, writes the New Yorker. Feinstein seemed, seemed sharp and focused. For decades, she'd been the epitome of a female trailblazer in Washington, always hyper-prepared. But then, and you may know this, uh, Dorsey responded, he answered, and Diane asked him the same question again, word for word, along with the Trump tweet, 
And as they write, her inflection was eerily identical. She looked and sounded just as authoritative, seemingly registering no awareness that she was repeating herself verbatim. Yeah. You know, you go back and forth between want to joke about that or it's just sad. Um, she, she, I mean, you're, you're in bad shape. You ask the same question a couple of minutes apart. Right, right. And six days later, under growing pressure from progressive groups, uh, she released a statement saying she would step down from the Democrats' uh, senior position on the Judiciary Committee. But um, then they go into her biography. Yeah, well, you know, I remember when I read that article, one of the things that stood out to me was um, the fact that people have gone and talked to her about this. And then when they go back to, like, you know, they, they say, we'll follow up on this. And then when they go back to talk to her about it again, she has no memory right. of the fact that they went in and talked to her about her, you know, declining previously yes yes and then they hedge a little bit and they they so some of her aides bridle at singling out her condition because declining male senators strom thurmond robert bird was uh, were widely known was embarrassing also they were widely known by the end of their careers to be non-compassmentous one of my favorite terms because bugs bunny used to use it And I love this. One former Senate aide said, for his last 10 years, Strom Strom Thurmond didn't know if he was on foot or horseback, (laughs) (laughs) which is a a hell of an expression. Uh, But that wasn't good either. Well, right. Yeah. And and, and they talk about some of the problems that caused. But uh, speaking on background and with respect, several of people, uh, quite a few people who work with her say her short-term memory has grown so poor that she often forgets she's been briefed on a topic, accusing mm. her staff of failing to do so oh my gosh. right after they do it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like, they wrap up a meeting and she says, why haven't I been briefed on the very thing they were just talking about? They described Feinstein as forgetting what she has said and getting upset when she can't keep up. One aide to another senator described what he called a kabuki meeting in which Feinstein staff tried to steer her through a proposed piece of legislation um, that she protested. This is just words. It makes no sense. Um, the staff is in such a bad position. They have to defend her and make her seem normal. Uh, yeah, this is something. She's she's lost it completely. Man, uh, and, and The she... Madigan thing, 50 years, and DiFi incoherent and running again that's not the way the system ought to work that's the new yorker writing that now she's she doesn't run again for three years correct yeah yeah wow and they will weekend at bernie's her so you know i presume she'll still be drawing breath but she will have her name on the ballot uh because there's a d next to it cal unicornians will elect her and then I guess they declare non-compassmentus and appoint somebody. Well, yeah, probably. Um, uh, the reason that's in the New Yorker not not that it's not a legit story. It's a legit story. You got a U.S. senator that you know isn't capable of doing the job. That's a legit story. But the reason mm-hmm. it's in the New Yorker, they want to replace one of the last of the you know close to the center Democrats with somebody who would be way to the left of her. Um, as one of the 100 senators, obviously. Right. The only reason they're writing is that the super progressive groups don't like her. Yeah. And and honestly, as you've said many times, the worst thing for conservative or moderate America would be to boot her out. Yeah. If you're if you're a Republican, don't take any glee in Diane Feinstein uh, going down. She will be replaced by somebody way way to the left of her. Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Gavin Mussolini. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's already appointed one extreme lefty, and he would do it again. So, oh, well. and it's that's something the whole um, you know. Well, we're not going to all be there. Some people stay sharp up to their dying breath, but uh, a lot of us will be there someday. Mm-hmm. That's uh, when you realize it yourself. It's got to be tough. I don't know. Can't even imagine. A little scary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a shame because she's uh, always been a pretty nice gal. But it's it is troubling that we do. We don't want to have um, a government where we just prop up like people's name and staff work on their behalf. That's that's not a good good way to handle things. Um, so we got a lot more on a bunch of different topics. Our text line is four one five two nine five KFTC. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Will you have a, a beer before the show? Do you drink during the show? No, I'm I, a I'm a before, during, and after guy for sure. Hell yeah! Yeah, I'm before, during, okay. and after. I shotgun a beer every night during right. the show, one beer. Yeah. But I can't do beer. It makes me burp too much. Yeah. So I do stage drink. So that's heavy Jack pour. Yeah. And then diet, no ice, because little known secret of the trade is that ice cools your vocal cords down and so you have a higher chance of damaging your vocal cords drinking like ice cold anything there you go jack daniels heavy pour that's uh <laughs> country musician luke combs if you're into country music he's one of the biggest stars in america he's a big old boy and he I mean he is he's the real deal living the lifestyle <laughs> apparently but the uh i we listen to country music a lot with my kids because it's it's tough to listen to music with kids that you know between the music, the commercials, and the things the disc jockey's going to say, that's okay for kids. In country music, you can, I think, which is one of the reasons it's so popular. It's the biggest format in America. But um, he, all the songs are about drinking whiskey. There's hardly a song that huh. doesn't promote drinking whiskey. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't drink, but I'm not going to be a teetotaler in my home, and I'm not going to, you know, uh, ban that from the home when they're old. Or try to convince them they should never drink and that sort of thing. But the everyday propaganda of this is the way you should live your life and it's lots of fun, I'm, I'm not sure that does any good. Yeah, interesting. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of the other side of that coin. I've recently, after being known as gin guy for a long time, I've really started to enjoy bourbon. That's uh-huh. my cocktail of choice. We're straight up on the rocks. And... uh but then I started to think, because bourbon's a whiskey, if you're not into, you know, fine imbibables, there are roughly two songs about drinking your life away with gin. And I think they're both written by Pete Townsend of The Who. There are like seven million right. written about ruining your life with whiskey. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking, is that just a southern thing? That, you know, that happens to be the, the drink of choice where most country music has been written historically? Or is there something about that delicious little brown treat that's especially bad? He drinks before, during, and after the show. <laughs> you can do that when you're young. Uh, we'll, we'll check back in on you within your 45. You can do that as a professional musician, Yeah, I think is another thing, too. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I tell you what, drinking, playing music is a lot like drinking, playing golf. You get the exact right amount going, you're going to do better than you've ever done before. You have one drink more than that, you're going to make an ass of yourself. Um, the guy who, the CEO of Parlor says they may never find a home, and that might be the end of Parlor. 
Um, uh, he said that today. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, not that in specific, but how difficult it was. I was doing some QAnon research last night to learn more about the whole thing. And it's difficult now that it's been banned from so many places. And is Interesting. that, a, is that a good thing? Uh, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, it's funny you should bring that up. Uh, Charles Lane wrote an opinion piece in the Washington Post about that that I found pretty intriguing about how it just, uh, and he cites several examples from history of how it tends to drive stuff underground right. and make it harder to you know, you know be aware of. But a couple of stories from the science desk. I mentioned this briefly, but I wanted to get into it uh, briefly yesterday. I wanted to get into it a little more. The New York Times uh, with an article. Emissions plunged more than 10% last year. If the trend can be sustained, it would put the United States within striking distance of one of its major goals under the Paris Climate so Agreement. All you, so all you need to do is have a worldwide pandemic where nobody's allowed to go to work or, right. or on vacation. And, and, you, and tens of millions of people unemployed in this country alone. Right. And you'll lower emissions. Yeah. That's it. What a stupid story. Yeah, well, you know, they do get into, okay, it was the pandemic, extraordinary circumstances, and experts warned that the country still faced enormous challenges in getting its planet warming pollution under control. Uh, but I just, I thought it was interesting. Transportation, which is our largest source of greenhouse gases, saw a 15% decline in 2020. Millions of people stopped driving to work. Airlines canceled flights. Americans drove 15% fewer miles. Demand for jet fuel fell by more than one-third. Emissions from heavy industry dropped 7%, like steel and cement, as automakers and other manufacturers churned out fewer goods. Uh, and uh, Well, they have a handful more uh, statistics, but I just thought all that decline in energy use uh, all of a sudden is just crazy. And in a similar story... This is also from the science desk? It is from the science desk. I'll let you know if I get up from the science desk. and move to... Thank you, Thomas. Because I've Goldie. got a segment coming up called Fine China with some stories from uh, China that I'll get to later. Oh, that's no, that's China. almost clever. What do you think of that? Okay. It's okay. It's not a desk, but it's got a cool name. Yeah, I've just become aware that, you know, Gen X and, well, I'm Gen X, um, you know, your millennials, your Gen Z or whatever I'm supposed to call those, but those, the, the mouthy youngsters, um, <laughs> they have no interest in China and China hutches oh, really? and the fine oh, silver okay. and the rest of it. Yeah. 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 Oh, so, God, no. Well, well, right. Right. And, you know, Judy and I are like, why do we have this? We never use it. It seemed like the most important thing to be on your wedding registry. Back when we got married. It was, uh, yeah, back in the day, it was a given. Right, right. And now, we, I, I don't even remember the last time I saw it. Anyway, uh, moving along, and still at the science desk. Uh, according to researchers at Stanford University and, and uh, UC San Diego, wildfire smoke accounted for about half of all small particle air pollution in the western U.S. Hmm. in recent years. Warming temperatures fueled more destructive blazes, according to scientists, of course. But that's something. Half of the pollution in the western half of the U.S. was wildfires. Uh, That's not surprising if you live anywhere that's been affected by the fires or the smoke. There was a month last year. I think it was a month. It was several weeks where I didn't see the sky. It was just dark and smoky every single day. Um... uh... Speaking of indoctrination, the way my kids are being indoctrinated into the joys of whiskey by country music, kids, uh, if you got kids in school, they, uh, they definitely get indoctrinated into the world of climate change and global warming and how important all that is because they talk about it all the time in school. So the next generation 
will certainly think that is a high priority because they've been told practically daily in school that it is. And um, I never think about it. Mm, you're and a bad person. Maybe, maybe I am. Clearly. I never think about it. I've read, z- I think, zero articles about climate change. I'm positive that I've never read a book about climate change. I don't think I've ever read an article about climate change. Really? I just don't care about it. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, and I was listening to a couple of my favorite thinkers on a podcast the other day, and they were doing a question and answer uh, segment. It was live. And uh, they're taking phone calls, and somebody asked about climate change, and they both of them. These are like our two super smart, well-read, can quote, you know, whatever. And they're asked about climate change, and they both said, you know, I don't. it's not anything I've ever looked into. Hmm. There's something about people who lean right. It's just not an issue. Right. You know, I'm interested in the science. I'm interested in getting to the truth, which is very difficult because everybody is spinning like crazy to serve their own purposes. Um, but I am interested in the topic, but I've just found it so difficult to to find information that I can take at face value. It's frustrating. And then to the extent that I have, uh, it's utterly clear that if you don't get China and India fully on board, None of these measures that we're trying to take in this country or, or the, the developed world in general, which are incredibly injurious to the economy, none of them are going to do a damn bit of good. Maybe I could mention that in my segment, Find China, as the WHO is going into China to try to figure out where the uh, coronavirus came from, 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 among other China stories. Now that they've cleaned up all the evidence? Yeah. Timely. Timely, yeah. WHO. Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah.